All right, sports fans, it is Sunday night. It is Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Chris William Wynn, oh yeah, he's jumping in with me for tonight, or for Tim Ungles beat. Tim might be jumping on as well, so we could have a packed show. Lots and lots to do tonight. Obviously, we have college football is on the brain. Week one in the books, and we had an exciting, exciting college football game tonight. We'll get into that. UNLV, look, you may not have had a, a win, but you certainly had an exciting game. We'll get into what it means to lose that game. I want to hear from you guys as well. Major League Baseball sprinkling it in. And we're going to talk about the first game of the year. We're going to preview the big Thursday night matchup. There are some late-breaking news information, pieces of information that, listen, maybe we'll get brushed aside by sports bettors and people that are not paying attention. If you're just somebody who just looks at fantasy, but there was a big injury that uh, injury news that's going to come down here that I think is going to impact this game a lot. So we'll talk about that as well. Plus, anything you guys want to discuss, anything that you want to talk about, of course, the phone lines are always open. 702-876-1340. Hit me up right on Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. The first thing we're going to do, though, I want to jump on. I want to say, Chris, it's good to do a show with you, my man. Chris might not be with us quite yet. So let, let's uh, let's get right into the last thing that we watched. And the last thing we watched, I have to lead off with this because I know it's college football, and college football is regional, and sometimes the big games are only the only thing that people care about. But this was a pretty big game. Look, it was a big game on multiple fronts. First of all, Florida State is a big program. We know that, even though they haven't been that in years. Notre Dame's a top 10 team. They came in at number nine. They had the spotlight to themselves tonight. Florida State was at home, and it was it had a little something extra, didn't it? It had that little something extra because it had the Bobby Bowden factor and the Bobby Bowden aspect of them celebrating and him all over the field. That was something special going into this. Then the game started playing out, and Florida State fans looked at it and said, eh, same old Seminoles, same old Seminoles, can't get enough done. Well, here we go. All of a sudden, you turn around, and it lost a little juice. Florida State's down by 18. All right. The game lost a little bit of the juice. And Mackenzie Milton comes into the game. In a fluke situation, the starting quarterback for Florida State loses his helmet. Mackenzie Milton came in. And if you guys don't know who Mackenzie Milton is, this is a guy that hasn't played a game in over 1,000 days because he was the UCF quarterback. Really, really, really good player. Now he's a senior. He had that bad leg injury. They said he may never walk again. Comes back. They quoted the doctor saying it, it would be a, a medical miracle if he ever came back. Came back, led Florida State down by 18. And that is where the story should have gone to Florida State winning. They didn't. Uh, Mike Norville, the Florida State coach, iced his own kicker. It, it didn't go so well. He got kicked, missed the kick, and, and in overtime, that's that was the game. Okay, but for all of that, and what happened, and what might have happened, forget about it. Just the story tonight. Yeah, number nine Notre Dame advances. It's a tough road game. It was a good game. Went into overtime, but Mackenzie Milton is the story tonight. Mackenzie Milton, this is somebody that we can all root for. Immediately, the fact that he took the field tonight makes it one of the best, if not the best, sports story of the year. I, I can't tell you 
how absolutely over the moon happy I am with him. I am really, really excited to see this guy jump onto the field. I spoke to Charlie Ward a couple of weeks ago about Mackenzie Milton, and he had the same kind of sentiment where you could see the guy's talent. You just didn't know, you know, would he ever really be able to get back out there? He was out there. He looked phenomenal. He looked fantastic. Led Florida State to an 18-point comeback. I don't care that they lost the game. If you are just counting, what did he do? He looked like he should be the starter moving forward. And Florida State, you know what? On such an emotional night, even though it was a loss, it was so emotional times two because of the Bobby stuff and Mackenzie Milton. And it left you leave there with, you know what, that slight grimace on your face. But you get a, a slight side smile, too, because, wow, we saw something pretty incredible tonight. Chris, I don't know if you watched the game, but I am all smiles about what Mackenzie Milton did tonight. Oh, no question. It was uh, pretty spectacular to watch. And uh, this is a quality firing Irish team, and they, you know, they – were able to, especially in the third quarter there, I mean, that was pretty impressive to be able to put up, uh, you know, uh, a 21 spot there in the third quarter. But uh, there's no doubt about it that there was the sentiment in the air regarding the Seminoles, obviously, and the passing of, of uh, you know, a great college football icon that you're talking about. And I, and, and uh, you echo my sentiments regarding Milton. I'm someone who had a chance to cover UCF back in the day. I'm talking UCF football, Tommy, back when, you know, uh, Dante Culpepper was there, Kevin Smith, and the likes of those names. So back to the uh, white helmets, which, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> back when they were playing against the likes of uh, Sanford and Troy State in the uh, you know in the pre Sun Belt days, basically of UCF UCF football, and of course, uh, you know, obviously the circumstances that Milton has faced early on, as far as adversity in his career, to be able to you know even be at a program the caliber of Florida State, I think, and making a difference is already a triumph in his life. So that that's kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, let's say it, right? it's been a super-duper holiday weekend, and it's been highlighted, obviously, by college football across the board with, with all these matchups and uh, getting getting us right back on the schneid when it comes to college pigskin. It's been a really great way to kind of do things, and it was uh, continued today with that matchup between the Fighting Irish and the Seminoles. Let's uh, go to some of the games that went on this weekend, and I want your thoughts on just a couple. Uh, Clemson goes down to Georgia. Georgia's athletes are just phenomenal. I, I mean, there was a quote that I read, and they said basically just back the, the senior truck up, load them up with Georgia's defense, and let's get going. And, you know, people look at that game, and they go, well, it's boring. There wasn't a lot of scoring. I like a good defensive game, personally. Um, Georgia really stepping up. It doesn't mean Clemson's out of the playoff picture at all this was a game where either one of these teams could have lost and you know the rules don't apply to them as they do to most of the country so I think Clemson will be right back in this thing I think it's a testament to Georgia Georgia's defense but I also you know one of the things I always say um, when whenever we sit back and we talk about any kind of college program yeah you can reload but if you want to make it out to be that Trevor Lawrence was the greatest quarterback maybe of all time in college. You have to expect some sort of drop-off, and that's what they got. Look, the offense looked stagnant. As good as Georgia looked, and the Georgia Bulldogs' defense looked great, it still was a Clemson offense that just looked bad out there. It looked uh, stagnant. I expect them to get a lot better. I think DJ will look better. I think you lose guys like ETN. Of course they're going to look bad, but... I don't know if I was prepared to see them that look that much like they were playing in mud. 
Yeah, look, you're, you're talking about a guy in Trevor Lawrence that they lost to. He's going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks right in college football history. So with Georgia, on, on with the Georgia side of things, right, Tommy? You knew Kirby Smart, his defense was going to be big-time athletic, right? This is a defense that was flying all over the football field. You got a big-time, you know, uh, pick six from Christopher Smith to go 74 yards for a touchdown. And you got, you know, basically a Georgia team that turns in one of the best defensive efforts in recent memory. So you got to, you know, you, you mentioned DJ was having issues. I mean, it wasn't DJ just didn't have a great game. You're talking about, you know, uh, he threw for 178 yards and, and, and basically had one pick. He bobbled snaps. He was out of sync with his receivers most of the day. And he was basically running for his life nonstop. And then, you know, obviously, and on top of that, that he was sacked seven times. So this is a, you know, there's, make no mistake about it, Tommy. This is a Georgia defense that has them poised to make a serious run at a college football playoff and and should be right there in the mix with the likes of uh, what's there in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and you said what's there in Tuscaloosa. All of a sudden, it's a quarterback factory. Um, you know, we, we went year after year after year where there was just flat out no quarterbacks could come out of Alabama, and now it's a quarterback factory. And looks like they got another one again. I put this out there on Twitter, though, Chris, and, and tell me if I'm just being too anti-Alabama here. I said, look, Alabama's clearly uh, the team to beat, obviously. Okay, They clearly looked very good. But Miami's just trash. Uh, every year after year for the last almost two decades i hear the miami hype it's almost like nebraska right you hear the hype this is going to be the year they're going to change it around oh just wait and see oh just watch and see and what i watched him uh, you know chris is exactly what i was talking to tim about and me and him were texting back for um, listen what i see in miami is the same thing i've seen for a decade it's the same thing that i think i always see and that is an undisciplined bunch of kids that are, are having a you know a turnover chain down 27 and worried about putting that thing on as opposed to winning football games. They are a, a bad organization. They are run poorly from the top on down. I don't like their coach. I don't like what they preach there. And it's not a shock to me that they got their doors blown off by Alabama, who actually could have won that game by a lot more than they did. But let's be straight honest about it, right, Tommy? We're talking about Bryce Young here. This is a kid who's absolutely, I think, going is is all the hype is justified coming out of Southern California, right? I mean, he becomes the first Crimson Tide quarterback to throw for four touchdown passes in his starting debut, you know, and they just they just flat out romped over Miami. So I think this is more of a indication, really, of how good my Alabama is, and I didn't look at it necessarily as a flat out indictment of uh, the Miami Hurricanes. I mean, this is. You know, you're, you're talking about a, you know, a perennial team that is, you know, consistently every single year just reloads. They don't, you know, they don't rebuild. They just reload. So, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, you look at this Crimson Tide team, right? Record tying six players taken in the first round of the NFL play, draft, Tommy. Six players. That's crazy. You know, include, I mean, obviously including, you know, Devontae Smith. You've got, you know, you got, you know, Mac Jones and, of course, Patrick Sertain the second. So, you know, it's but th- this Alabama team—they're just never short on five-star guys, and one of those guys just happened to be a dual-threat guy who's the you know highest-rated quarterback prospect ever to be signed by an Alabama quarterback or Alabama coach. So, you know, the the Hurricanes—you know—obviously lost Bubba Bolton too in that first quarter, you know, because he gets ejected for the targeting helmet to helmet on uh, Robinson Jr. So that was big time. 
for Miami. So that just kind of led, that just kind of helped out the, uh, you know, the onslaught that was coming for Alabama in this matchup. And, uh, and Miami was just overmatched. It was, look, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy, right, Tommy? Because we're, we're supposed to be talking about a Hurricanes team that was number 14 in the country. And they just got flat out dismantled in, in you know, in the, in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. That's exactly what took place because that's what the Crimson Tide absolutely did to Miami. Let's take a look at uh, the SEC uh, where LSU went down. I don't know if you saw this before, Tom, but Coach O screaming into the stands. Did you see this, Chris? It, it, yelling into the stands telling uh, people to take off their sissy blue <laughs> shirts and use their legs. Sure? I didn't, no, I didn't see that. That's kind of Oh, funny. yeah, he's walking into the stands, and somebody must have said something to him. He said, yeah, take off your sissy blue shirt, you know, with that uh, Coach <laughs> O. And, and he goes out there and he loses to UCLA. You know, every year I hear how great the SEC is. And look, every year I go, okay, now now take out Georgia and Alabama. Because it seems like everybody after that always has weird games like this. And this is one of those kind of weird games. I don't think LSU is that bad. I certainly don't think UCLA is that good. Um, but it makes me open up my eyes. Maybe, maybe LSU is that bad. Or... Did I discount UCLA? You tell me. I think it's more, I think all, it's not just you, Tommy. I think a lot of us have discounted UCLA because they just really haven't, you know, it, look, this is a Bruins team that has Chip Kelly at the helm and the Chip Kelly era. Look, it was only their third win over a ranked opponent during Chip Kelly's era uh, on Saturday night. Kind of a great spectacle here in Vegas, obviously. You get a matchup of two. Jeez you know, teams that are, are solid when it comes to, obviously, the Tigers and the Bruins. And you had local product, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who, you know, had, had a solid game and uh, led the way. He struggled last week in the opener against Hawaii, bounced back solidly with a 9-16 game, throwing for over 263, three touchdowns, and he did have a pick. And uh, the Bruins running backs were just solid. I mean, you were talking about averaging over seven yards a carry, as uh, Charbonneau, you know, had a second straight 100-yard game, and he ends up with over 100 yards and a touchdown. You had Brown also who added, who was, they got a nice one-two punch there with both Brown and Charbonneau. So running the ball was was a big key, and, and Kelly brought that up after the game. And, uh, you know, you had a lot of those play-action passes that led to big touchdowns. And, of course, you had the spectacular one where you had the receiver basically, you know, uh, pulling a Barry Sanders move almost. <laughs> that one of those touchdowns for UCLA, but, uh, I mean, yeah, but I think, look, I think UCLA is better than I think we expected. So, and right now they're sitting at, at sitting at two and oh, but, uh, but LSU is still going to be in the mix. I still think LSU, I, I haven't, I haven't totally, you know, thrown the baby out with the bathwater for LSU. I love, obviously I, I love, love their coach. He's a personality. He's a guy who, you know, in my opinion is, you know, is he's not Bobby Bowden, obviously, but he's got that kind of, he still has that same kind of southern, you know, oh dang swagger that I kind of like. So I still don't think LSU is out of the mix here. Obviously, losing your opener is not great, but it's uh, they're going to be a team that's going to be dealt with in the SEC. You got to go check out it. You got to go check out YouTube after the show and, and, and yep. go just listen to Coach O because it, it, it's really comical. Just with, with that, it doesn't shock and... me though, right? It doesn't shock me that he would do something. No, like that. not at all. That's the not way the guy all. is. Yeah. I love it. I love enough for nothing. You know, I, you don't want to start a fight with that guy. He, he's built. I mean, he's jacked. I don't want to start a fight with Coach O. Coach O's been, he's a unit out there, man. <laughs> okay. What about, uh, let me ask you about Iowa. 
It's a game that, yep. look, will fly under the radar, okay? But Indiana had a real good season last year. They manhandled Indiana. Absolutely manhandled them. Now, next week, they go up. And look, they were inside the top 25. And it seems like everybody always just goes, yeah, I was going to be inside the top 25. But they don't really give them a lot of credit, right? So, Indiana goes out there. They were supposed to have this great season. They get manhandled by Iowa. You can go, okay, it's in Iowa. Next week, though, they take on number five, Iowa State. Iowa owns this series. If somehow or another next week, Iowa can beat Iowa State, we have to start looking at Iowa this year as being a legitimate contender. I mean an absolute contender, and I think people are overlooking how this big front-loaded part of their schedule gets a lot easier from here on out. Now, again, they got to go out there and do it to you know next week. They have to beat Iowa State, but they've done that six years in a row. They often consistently do that. And if you're talking to the most impressive team, obviously Alabama against Miami was impressive. After that, I think Iowa's win and the way they just beat this team down against Indiana, give me Iowa for being one of the more impressive teams as of this weekend. And there's no question, Tommy, right? That This was kind of a surprise. Even to Iowa's head coach, Kirk Ferentz even talked about it, say, you know, he, he didn't want to say after the game that I was surprised, but I was a little bit given what defensively they were able to do. I mean, it was just a really rough situation for Michael Penix Jr., right, as uh, he got picked three times in the game. Riley Moss had two picks, including at, you know, the 30-yard uh, pick six for a touchdown, you know, who basically was the first of two scores the guy had in the game. And the defense led the way here. Look, there was no question. Uh, they also got uh, – they got they started off quick, too. You had the Hawkeye 7-0 lead right off the bat when Goodson had that 56-yard touchdown, basically in the fourth play of the possession to start the game off. And, uh, you know, I mentioned, of course, Moss with, with a couple of picks, and then you also had uh, you had Dane Belton as well, too, who had the other pick as well. So it, let, let, there's no question about it, Tommy. The Hawkeyes are for real in the Big Ten, and they're going to hang their hat on defense this season. Defense is going to be a huge key to see how far this team can go in Iowa City. Well, I know you're a Big Ten fan, so let me keep it with that. Penn State's defense wound up beating Wisconsin in a game that was 0-0 at the half. Um, Penn State, look, I, I don't know if they won that game as much as Wisconsin lost it. They had the ball inside the five-yard line twice, two interceptions, came away with nothing, then a missed kick. I still think Wisconsin is the better team, but Penn State walks away with a win. You look at that Big Ten, Wisconsin, look, I had them in a position of going to the championship, which they still can do. You look at Ohio State and everyone else, well, maybe, but I'm starting to look at some other teams in that Big Ten. What did you make about the the Penn State win, or was it the Wisconsin loss? Uh, I had to say it was Wisconsin's loss. I mean, when you have opportunities like that you can't let them slip away when you're down there basically you know on the on the cusp of scoring and you're making mistakes and you're having you know you're finding ways not to get into the end zone in a game that is that close then it's all on that right and so when you got you know you got brisker and you got brown picking off Mertz, you know his pass is deep in their territory and especially obviously in the final two and a half minutes and you know, Wisconsin had four scoreless trips inside Penn State's 25. Can't happen, Tommy. Can't happen, right? Including three inside the inside the 10-yard line. So, to me, it wasn't necessarily that. Now, look, Penn State escaped. And, you know, look, the, the Nittany Lions, Tommy, right? 
they won despite getting just one first down before halftime and basically allowing Wisconsin to control possession of this game for over 42 minutes. All right, so the basically, you know, you know, the victory basically assures that the Nittany Lions are going to have a better start this year after losing its first five games in, uh, in 2020, obviously in the pandemic season. But this is all on Wisconsin not getting the job done. And I can't even imagine, right, Tommy, being a Badger fan there in that, in that electric stadium, which was going nuts. I mean, they had the bounce. I mean, it's not the bounce house like it is in, at UCF, but it's still you know, kind of like that. It's, it's basically the Big Ten version of it. And they were going crazy there. And I can't imagine being like a, a Badger fan after, after losing the way that they did up there. That's got to be tough. That was uh, that was rough. That was I look. I had zero money on the game. I have zero rooting interest on the game, and it was it was hard to watch Wisconsin fans because of what happened. Um, finally, what happened in Norman? Uh, look, the game was a little back and forth with the Sooners, and they weren't playing well. Spencer Rattler came up. All of a sudden, yeah, it was oh well, you know, they're they're playing close, and then it was thirty four fourteen, and you're going okay game's over now right this is one of those classic uh, play bad for a quarter kind of thing it was 14 14 after the first quarter and then oklahoma all of a sudden gives up that lead and they win the game chris this is my national champion right i i thought that their defense this year all i heard from everybody that has anything to do with scouting and recruiting and, and my my scouting department basically is telling me this team has a defense this year. This is the first year Oklahoma's going to have a defense in some time, and here we go, and Spencer Rattler's the guy. Look, he certainly was, and the offense looked good, but they barely squeaked by, barely squeaked by at home. I know you could tell me it's week one, but this is a subpar opponent that put the fear of God into Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. I am very concerned about the Sooners this year. Yeah, the theme of this matchup is maybe you're taking your hospitality a little bit too far, right, Tommy? I mean, you have the you know a Sooners game going up against uh, the Green Wave, where obviously relocated from New Orleans because of Hurricane Ida, right? And you know the Oklahoma Athletic Department and the fans all you know were making it. It had a very much of a feel of back when the Hornets during Katrina, you know, relocated for the NBA, and and everybody was like you know bending over backwards as they should. It makes sense. You know, you had the Oklahoma had the Greenway painted at the 25-yard lines, and you know the Sooner fans were cheering when Tulane, you know, ran on the field before the game. But uh, it, but to be quite honest with you, when you got a you know when you're up 40 to 22 early in the fourth quarter, and then you give up a pair of late touchdowns, that's not good, Tommy. Right? Not that is not good. And you're talking about a team that has national championship aspirations. You know, you got Spencer Rattler throwing for over 300 yards in that game, and a touchdown. Yet they bear they they find a way to avoid, you know, being the first team that uh, the Green Wave beat that is in the top ten since 1973. We're talking 47 years, so that was uh, uh, alarming to say the least, right? And you know, the Sooners led what 37-14 at halftime, and the second half, you know, Lincoln Riley talked about it. He thought his team, you know, felt the game was over going into the second half, and you just you just have to, you know, with with today's era, right, Tommy, where you got FCS upstart teams, you know, I'm not not not, not saying that Tulane's FCS, I'm just saying, you know, teams that are supposed to be overmatched and playing in tight games against these, you know, blue bloods or powerhouses or teams that are supposed to beat them, you know, and uh, you know, you got and you and you need your kicker, you know, Burkick to you know basically tie an FBS record, 
with three field goals or more of 50 or more, you know, and uh, and you got to, you know, he ended up with a, a big time game out of Mims. Uh, Oklahoma's got to, you know, I don't, I don't have to say they have to circle the wagons, but you got to be cleaner. You got to be sharper moving forward throughout the rest of the schedule. Yeah, especially on defense. That was always the concern with Oklahoma. There's never a concern that, that Oklahoma and their quarterback and Lincoln Riley aren't going to put up points. It's always been, you know, what can they do on the defensive side? I, I, I have no confidence anymore. Zero. Hmm. Uh, one of the questions, let me ask you this. For a betting perspective, you know, everybody always throws money on the Heisman. And this year, I didn't really love anybody standing out. I thought Sam Howell was going to be involved. I think his Heisman hopes are over. I think at North Carolina, you can't have that kind of mediocre game. You know, you're already up against it. I think his, his title hopes or Heisman hopes are over. You look around the league, I think Clemson and DJ, I think your Heisman hopes are over in week one. Am I being overly crazy here? But, Chris, you know, I, I don't think I am because there are certain points where you have to go, they're going to be judged on that one game. And I think that the Heisman hopes ended for two top 10 candidates this weekend. Yeah, I would concur. I think that you're you're on point there without question. But this is, make no mistake about it though, right, Tommy? This is one of those seasons where you have so many more prospects. Like, look, and look, there's been years here recently where you've had, you know, three, four, five guys that can vie for it. But you can make the argument that there's even more this year, right? So, and there is definitely there's definitely no clear cut guy where you're saying, oh yeah, this is this is the man who's you know got the inside track, or this is the, you know this is the player who's going to, you know flat out cleanly be looked at as a front runner. You just don't have it. So, there's make no make 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 no mistake about it. There there are a couple of guys this week that made the claim. Now you're gonna now now right Tommy, you're gonna have people out there. You're gonna have people that are say, come on now. It's week one or it's week zero. How are we already talking about guys are playing their way out of the Heisman, you know, hype? And I mean, I, I mean, I guess I hear that, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is that there have been a couple of performances where you have to say, you know, that these guys, you know, could have absolutely maybe about bounced themselves out. This is the first year that Tom Barton Sports.com has not given out a Heisman Trophy pick uh, in. Geez, probably the history of my company, which is uh, you know about I did not 12 know years that. old. That's, 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 that's news to me. I, did. I didn't. I didn't like anybody. You know, I had a lot of people talking to me about Sam Howell, and that was kind of the guy. And I said, you know, I don't love it. And then Rattler was the guy, but well, six to one, seven to one odds on Rattler didn't get me excited. Like you said, I think you hit it right on the head. There's a lot of competition this year. You know, there's a lot of guys that I could go. All right, I could see it going that way. I could see it going that way. Um, so I just I just laid off. I just didn't like it. And after week one, I'm going, geez, I, I really do believe that two guys, Heisman bids, are over. They're over. Yeah, in week one. It's hard to imagine, but I really do think that that is a true statement. All right, Chris, let's take a quick timeout. We'll come on back. When we get back, I want to talk to you about the fans' impact. The fans are back in the stadium. Stadiums look awesome. I want to talk to you about that. And we're going to talk to you about UNLV. It was an exciting game. I'm not shocked, but a lot of people seem shocked. All that and more right after this on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back. Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com and Chris Wynn sitting in. And, guys, I, I got to tell you, man, you know, college football is here. I was increasingly pumped up this week. And I, I love watching the pageantry 
anyway. And I call it pageantry. I don't know what you want to call it. I like the idea of the, you could call them silly or whatnot. You know, the jump around in Madison, Wisconsin was awesome. And the way that ESPN highlighted that, or Fox, I think it was, the way that they highlighted that was really cool, right? Um, they put it on full display. I like that kind of stuff. I like the, the walk down, uh, the coming out. I like the Virginia Tech interest. And I love all of that. You know, the cheerleaders and, you know, the, the mid mid of the game and you throw it out. I love it all. I love everything when you're talking about the college football and, and what surrounds it, right? And it's something that the game needs. It's funny because to kind of go off track here a little bit, my favorite all-time video game is not Madden, which everybody loves. It was the old EA Sports college football game. And I loved it because I got to learn every fight song. And, you know, I, you have the little traditions and stuff like that. Heck, I even like the mascots. I like that whole situation, right? I like all of that. And to watch it be back this weekend, it's easy to say, well, the fans are back. Yeah, but the fans are back. But then you see something like that. Something like Jump Around in Madison, Wisconsin, which was highlighted. Oh, it was just so cool. Tonight with the Florida State, they said, oh, you know what? Florida State fans' right arms are going to be hurting them because they're all doing the, the tomahawk job. That was cool, man. I, I, I am sentimental on certain things when it comes to sports. And I think that one of our biggest things in life is that we should enjoy sports like we used to enjoy them as a kid. Oftentimes in my business, being a sports talk host, being a sports handicapper, I oftentimes lose sight of the the pure joy of the game at times. I think a lot of you guys probably do too. You know, you concentrate on your fantasy teams or your team itself. You lose sight of it. This weekend for me, Chris, was purely falling back in love with the college football game. And you can say, oh, I was looking forward to college football, but when it comes back and you go, oh, man, I almost forgot how great this was, and it was shown to me 100% this weekend. And let me chime in, Tommy, on that regarding the college game day experience, right? Because, look, we understand in the NFL, it's the major metropolitan areas, right? It's the big cities across America that have their representation. You have your team, and the NFL, you know, is its own entity. But college football, what you talked about, right, it's not just about the big cities across America. It's about Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's about Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with Coastal Carolina University. It's about Blacksburg, Virginia with Virginia Tech in North Carolina this weekend. It's about, you know, obviously, you know, the matchup you mentioned already, obviously Madison, Wisconsin in the Big Ten. You know, the, the big matchup between Ohio State and Minnesota this weekend. You got, you know, and it, and it goes across the country. We're talking about places, Eugene, Oregon, with Oregon and Fresno State. I mean, there's just places that get highlighted. We, you obviously know, you know, yourself and Abby with, you know, Tallahassee, Florida, Florida State, Gainesville with the Gators. I mean, Gainesville, you can't find a more college town than that, than that town is there with the Gators. I mean, there's just, there's just a certain spectacle that presents itself in college football that's unique across the country and is just so widespread to all these college towns. Yeah, are there, are there big cities that have colleges as well, too? Yeah, there are. You know, but uh, there is just, there's just a certain thing that is, is uh, unique and special that we finally getting a chance to see almost a rebirth, obviously, come out of 
COVID-19, where last year you just didn't have any fans really participating hardly at all. And now you're seeing, you're starting to see the stadiums come back. You're starting to see the fans come back. And it's really as you and I, you know, and, and, you know, and also millions of college football fans around the country are just pumped to see this all come back into play. Chris, you're not allowed to say Michigan state. What is your favorite? We'll call it uh, tradition for, uh, you know, the, the not, I'm not talking about mascots or, or anything. What's your favorite tradition for the fans of a team that's not your Michigan State Spartans? Wow, put me on the spot there. That's a that's an interesting question. Wow, I have to. I mean, I gotta say. I mean, I don't even know if tradition, as far as like uh, like one specific thing, but I am partial a little bit. And gosh, this really, I hate to say this, Tommy, because I'm I'm not a fan of this team whatsoever. But I, I think Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame, to me, when you think about you know the, the just the history they have, you know the whole you know the the whole aura that surrounds the Fighting Irish and that surrounds South Bend as a town, and you know the the whole you know just the whole aspect that is Notre Dame football to me I think is is something that is very inviting for college football, and I think that is is to me just jumps out at me i think about when i think about what college pigskin means right tommy i think about what college football is all about to me it's more about notre dame and uh what it is that they bring to the table you know what's funny is that i I love when they pan over and you can see uh you know the young kids in the stands you know it's just kind of a cool look I, i i mentioned the virginia tech i love the enter salmon which is kind of cool but here's something that's underrated you know one of my favorite traditions is just totally underrated army and navy do it well i know the aggies of texas a&m doing it as well i love the push-ups man i love watching the push-ups right and the team scores and you know and it's like a high scoring game it's like 49 48 you know the guy's like look i'm rooting for my team but i can't feel my arms right i love the scene in the push-ups how about you oh no question and especially you know being a veteran being an army veteran by the way is uh i am partial to uh do that branch of course so uh, I would concur with you 100% that uh, that's something also that uh, when you inter- but but let's be honest about it right Tommy when you integrate when you integrate the military and college football you're not you can't go wrong whether you're going air force whether you're going army whether you're going when you're going navy and uh, it, I almost feel bad because the marines don't have really a college football team that they they, they, that they can hang their hat on and that they can uh, so that they can inject themselves as part of the college football tradition so that is special for me I'll tell you a quick funny story. When I, I went to uh, West Point baseball camp when I was younger, and it was you know a, like a recruiting ground for the tri-state area, the, the best players in the league. And you go up there for like two weeks, and you live on West Point. You, you eat with the cadets, and we ran with the cadets. We woke up with the cadets, you know. And when we play baseball, look, you don't think it's that much doing the push-ups, but every, every run that we scored after the inning, everybody had to do 10 push-ups for the, the, the amount of runs. So, you know, you put together, like, you know, look, you're, you're a 15-year-old kid. You put together a five-spot inning, and you're regretting putting together that five-spot inning to do 50 push-ups in the middle of a baseball game. It was always, it sits in the back of my head when those, uh, when those players have to go, okay, wait a minute. All right, we got to go do the, here we go, let's go. Wait, we got, we got 58 points on the board. Ken, you know, Neil Lottomoto is uh, making us uh, run, up, run him up here. So let's go, and you're going, wait. What do we do, like three, 400 push-ups already? Yeah, that, that's always just a fun tradition. All right, Chris, 
we have to turn to the negative here. Let's uh, turn to the negative. Yeah. That so, so, Tommy, speaking of a place where they're trying to build a college football tradition. Oh, they have a tradition. They, they have a tradition. It's of abject horror, horrible play, <laughs> ter- yeah. terrible uh, football, and bad decisions. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the tradition is strong with the UNLV Rebels. And, look, I'm not ripping on them because of that they lost. We knew they were going to lose. We, we knew it. You sat back here on this show when we did our UNLV preview. I said, guys, I'm going to give UNLV one win this year, but it wouldn't shock me if they got to zero. And we had no nothing but people call us up like they do every preseason for every single UNLV sport, telling me I was completely out of line, completely insane. Most people are saying four or five wins. We read reporters in town talking about five wins. And my argument was, guys, I don't think they're winning week one. I went out there. I bet them on the money line. I know a lot of people bet them on the money line. The line opened up in some spots at seven, seven and a half, eight. I know people got it at 11. It went all the way down to three, three and a half. Then it went all the way where UNLV was the underdog going into the game. And it should have been. Look, you could tell me it was a good game, and it was. You could tell me that UNLV, you know, had a good first half in there. So, guys, it's still Eastern Washington, and it's still Eastern Washington at home, okay? I'm not saying that UNLV has to be this powerhouse and they shouldn't be this powerhouse. And I'm not even telling you that they're better than Eastern Washington because I didn't think they were. I put my money where my mouth was, and I talked about this a month ago that I didn't think that they were winning this game. The problem is, is that it's the perception of what this UNLV team is. People were stunned that they lost. People were shocked that they lost. Why? What have you seen in this team over the last decade to make you believe that they were ever going to win this game, and forget about this game, that they could ever win a string together, what, four or five wins? That's insane, Chris. I couldn't say zero. I didn't want to be that guy to say another zero win season, so I gave them the one win. Now I'm regretting it. I think I should have said zero. Well, I want to preface, Tommy, my comments by saying, when I think of uh, what transpired this weekend in this football game between UNLV and Eastern Washington, you capped off uh, brilliantly with the the whole aspect from a betting standpoint that took place. You know, basically over the by, by the way over the past weeks or so regarding you know the sports books flat out made a mistake right coming out of the gate on this one. UNLV had no business being favored by that much. You know, insert you know throughout you know, throughout basically. I want to say for the first, you know, the first two, three weeks that this line was even out, they had no business being favored as much as they did. And to see what transpired from the line standpoint where I got it, Tommy, at minus two. I ended up taking Eastern Washington minus two. That's how much this line moved going into this football game. But getting back to UNLV, right, and the, and the way that we look at this program, and especially here, Tommy, being here in Las Vegas and covering the team, for over 10 years and seen, you know, kind of the, you know, the viewpoint of UNLV fan when it comes to Rebel football and, you know, the amount of glass half full, rose colored glasses, whatever adjective you want to use regarding this program and regarding, to be quite honest with you, some of the response after this football game where some out there were trying to say, well, you know, yeah, they lost, but or you know, they weren't able to come out on top of an exciting game, but this and but that. The bottom line is this, okay? 
when you start talking about, you know, being competitive with FCS teams, okay, and being in a competitive atmosphere where, you know, Eastern Washington, we're not talking about Eastern Washington is number one or number two in FCS. We're talking about a team that may be top 10 in the FCS rankings, right? Is is considered, yes, a good FCS team. And when you are speaking from a standpoint of, oh, we were in this game and we had a chance to win this game, you weren't going up against a top-tier, even Mountain West team. I'm not even talking about top-tier, you know, FBS, you know, college football team. I'm talking about not even not even a good Mountain West team. And Mount, the Mountain West is not good, okay? We really have some issues here, okay, when it comes to what this college football program stands for and what they are going to be moving forward. Now, specifically on this game, yes, it was exciting, I guess, to watch, okay, because you had, you know, it, it's after the first half, because the first half was just a field goal fest, you know, where you had, you had Harrison and Gutierrez going back and forth. Then in the third quarter, obviously, Eastern Washington started getting things rolling. They get 17 points in the third quarter. You saw Barrier be the quarterback, you know, the FCS quarterback that people are talking about, right? He's a guy who, and we, look, we just saw an FCS quarterback and Trey Lance get taken high in the NFL draft. So it's, I'm not saying that there can't be players in the FCS that are going to be difference makers and be big-time players. The, the Barrier kid was one of them on, on Saturday, right? I mean, he's, you know, or excuse me, on Thursday night. He was, you know, throws for 374. A few touchdowns. He looks the part. He's a, he's a quality quarterback, no question about it. And Boston had a big game. He has over 100 yards receiving. And Eastern Washington was able to put up a 17th spot there in the third quarter. Fourth quarter, UNLV comes back and responds. They get you know they get 14 unanswered points in the fourth quarter after it looked like UNLV is probably going to get blown out in the game, you know, or could have had the possibility of getting blown out. They come back and you you, you got to be happy if you're if you're a Rebel fan, I guess, you know, because you came back against FCS school in the fourth quarter and were able to get, you know, 14 points in the fourth quarter. And, and Charles Williams, solid player. He's going to be a big-time player this year for them. Over 170 yards rushing, a couple of touchdowns in the game. You had some issues, obviously, at the quarterback position where you had Rodgers start the game, was not effective whatsoever. Uh, you had Brumfield come in and had a couple spots where he was okay, you know, and he, you know but his... His stats aren't going to, you know, electrify you. You're not going to look at that and say, oh, yeah, that was a great game from Brumfield, you know, even though he did have a couple spots. But then you have a situation, what happened in the fourth quarter, right, Tommy, where it's third down and 22, okay, and UNLV's defense lets a guy get behind him where they got four defenders back there, and they end up completing a pass bomb down the field. And, you know, long story short, Eastern Washington has a chance to win the game and their kicker misses his third field goal of the game. And so Eastern Washington gives UNLV life. It goes to overtime. And then in the overtime, Tommy, defense was just non-existent, especially for UNLV, okay? It seemed like, and it didn't just seem like it, Eastern Washington, basically every time they had just one play on offense, they score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, and... From a betting standpoint, Tommy, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know, throw this out there personally. I had Eastern Washington minus the two, and I also had the under. So obviously, I was thoroughly disgusted, Mr. Barton, by what took place in the overtime as far as all the points being scored. That being said, Eastern Washington was able to get it done in overtime, and 
UNLV comes back and, and scores the touchdown, but just doesn't convert on the two-point conversion. And then you had the whole narrative after the game of some people out here, out here saying, whether it's in the media or whether it's the fans, saying, oh, yeah, well, they're right there. They're right there. They had a chance to win. But at the end result was they didn't win, okay? Was this Howard from, you know, four or five years ago? No, it wasn't the Howard game, which is, you know, arguably one of the worst losses in any in any sport in, in, in the United States of America at that time, much less college football. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. But it still is, I would say, I would, I would say it's safe to say, Tommy, discouraging that that you lost a football game to an FCS school to open your season when you have a one-and-a-half game win total and it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of wins, Tommy, on the horizon for this UNLV football team. You say discouraging. I say pathetic. And I, right. I mean, that's it. It, it is pathetic. You, you, you know, you, you're being very, very, very nice tonight, Chris. And I understand <laughs> it. You're a nice guy. The, you're yeah. calling Eastern Washington top, you know, top 10. You know me. I follow the FCS. They're not a top 10 team in the FCS. They might be a top 25 team in the FCS. They're not really a threat. They're actually not a team that in, in years past, Eastern Washington teams were actually like, you know, oh, oh, wait a minute, watch out. They got some offense here, right? Um, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> this is not that team this year. They were not going to have a down year, but it certainly wasn't going to be an up year for them. They're not a real threat. This is pathetic by UNLV. I'm sorry. And I saw it coming, and I knew that this was pathetic. The way that you hear people talking, and you said, well, it's not Howard. Let me tell you something about Howard. We were on the air uh, that night. And I said to everybody, it is the worst loss in the history of college football. We were mocked. We left out. People that think that they're sports talk hosts that don't talk about sports uh, mocked us. Well, years later, guess what? We can't compare things to Howard because it is now proven that it was the worst loss ever. And, you know, I did hear you're not the only person to say things like that, that you heard it. Because I heard the same thing. Well, at least it's not Howard. At least it. So it's at least it's not the worst loss in the history of college football. Oh, okay. I mean, that's look at where the goalpost yeah, has been Tommy, moved. So what, so to what did I? So Tommy, what did I tweet out? Right. I actually threw that out there on Twitter. I go, where are the standards? Right. Where yes. are the expectations? Where is the? You know, just the why? Why are you know UNLV fans, the players, the you know the media? Why isn't people? Why are people up in arms? With what's taking place here, it's a it's a it's a lot of the same of what's going on in the basketball program as well too. Where is this where we're at right now? Where we're talking about how we're battling tooth and nail with an FCS team? And you're right. I was maybe I maybe maybe I'm a victim, Tommy, of being here in Vegas, where maybe putting some rose-colored glasses on, talking about Eastern Washington. I think Eastern Washington was ranked what 11th, I believe, in in a lot of uh, preseason FCS polls. So there weren't top 10. I, maybe I was maybe glossing it over a little bit. But get it, but but I digress. Getting back to the point, where where is the expectation that we are going to be, you know, a team to reckon with in the Mountain West, a team that can be viable when it comes to in this conference and here in the Southwest when it comes to a recruiting standpoint, right? I mean, this is Vegas, Tommy. There are all kinds of big-time high school football talent in this town, and where this football program at UNLV should be able to recruit from, not just in Vegas, but across the Southwest and across the West period, and they are absolutely positively not taking advantage of that. And it's just, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. I don't understand why... 
And look, and now there's been the injection, right, Tommy, of, well, they've got one of the best football facilities now in the country, not just, you know, not just in the Mountain West, in the country. You, you can put the football, the, the Fertitta football complex on par with programs, you know, like the big blue blooders, you know, like the, like the big time college football teams out there. And you've got now, now you've got the stadium. You've got Allegiant Stadium, and there's this, this latching on. To, yeah, and the Dallas Cowboys play a pretty nice you know what I mean? Yeah. They have no championships. Yeah, exactly, right? But you know what I mean? Like, there, there's this whole latching on to, oh, we've got this stadium now that that not just college football teams would love to play in, but also NFL teams are playing in, obviously, with the Raiders. And, you know, and it's it's spectacular. It is. It's a great venue. It's unbelievable. And, to, and, and I will say one bright spot that came out of Thursday's game was the crowd. I mean, there was probably more fans at that game. You know, we're talking about 19,000, 20,000 fans than at any UNLV game in recent memory. You know, at at the old Sam Boyd Stadium. So, I mean, that I guess that's good. But but I just I'm just blown away. I'm flabbergasted. Use whatever adjective you want to use, right, Tommy? At you know, kind of the standpoint of this program, and 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 also the, I mean, I guess I want to say acceptance of just pure futility and patheticness, right? And awfulness. You, you use the word, you know, you use the word pathetic, and you're right on. I mean, it's just I don't understand how this continues to be a thing when it comes to UNLV football, and, and unfortunately, it, it still is. It's because there is no uh, fervor. There is no people calling up right now, 876-1340, screaming and yelling. There is no going to Twitter and blasting. No, everyone's just kind of gone, well, yep, yep, this is the team. This is it. You know, the, the worst thing for a fan base to be is passive. You know, be aggressively angry. That's better than being passive. Don't be passive. And it's not your fault, fans. It's the organizations. But you got to have your voice so loud they can't not listen to you. And that's just not where we are. Chris, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, I want to talk to you about next week because it's going to get ugly. There is a point spread out already on next week's game in the desert at Arizona State. We'll talk about that. I want to see if you find any wins left on the UNLV schedule. Plus, We'll get into a little bit of Thursday night action. There's a big injury that has gone down for the Dallas Cowboys. I know nobody wants to talk about, you know, a lineman getting injured. I think this could be massive for Thursday night's game. Make sure you guys are paying attention. You fantasy guys pay attention as well. So keep it right here. We'll be back right after this with more Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back to Heat Wave Sports. Tim Oglesby is off tonight. Chris Wynn is sitting in with myself, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. We're talking about little UNLV football. We want to hear from you guys. 876-1340, 876-1340. Hit me up on Twitter as well. It's at TomBartonSports. And guys, uh, listen, you know, hashtag SGN for this week. We just did our NFL preview. So we're going to get into a little bit of NFL in a minute because that Thursday night game, all of a sudden we got some uh, interesting stuff when we're talking about it. But I want to get back with UNLV because the line is set next week going on the road to Arizona State, a top 25 team. Yeah, they're 25, but hey, it's top 25 team on the road. Uh, 33 is not enough, Chris. I'm looking at this. 33? It's got to be 40. I mean, uh, look, I'm not making too much about, uh, oh, an FCS school and this and that. I I thought that they were going to lose to Eastern Washington. I thought that they were going to get their doors blown out by Arizona State. Nothing has changed, in my opinion. 33. Chris, this has got to be about closer to 40, doesn't it? 
Yeah, there's no question about it. Is the Sun Devils coming off a win over? Look, we get it. It's over, you know, Southern Utah. Okay, not not, not exactly some powerhouse, but you, you like Daniels what he's able to do. He didn't even have a great game. And Daniels had, like, I think, over 130 yards passing and no touchdowns. It's more about White on the ground for them. But Arizona State clearly a cut above the likes of UNLV. So I was a little bit surprised, Tommy. And I actually texted you. Yeah, like you pointed out, I texted you. I, I 33 seems a little bit low be quite honest with you so that's one of those lines that surprised me as I as we look ahead to next week in college football but there's no question that uh, uh make no mistake about it right this is a UNLV team that's going to be it's going to it's they're going to have real trouble even finding one more W on the schedule because they take on obviously they go to Tempe next week they take on Arizona State then they come back here to Vegas and play an Iowa State team that Iowa State looked didn't have a great. It, it didn't, you know, it wasn't exactly a stellar performance by the Cyclones. That's a forty. Their, that's their, a forty-point favorite. Yeah, but they're going to be easily a forty-point dog in that matchup. And then they take on a, you know, a Fresno State team that was the, the next week up there in Fresno, where you know Fresno State was right there in the game this week. You know, so that's a uh, that's a it, at what seventeen to twenty point fit underdog. Yeah, and that's you're, and you're talking about a Mountain West. You're starting the Mountain West schedule there, so either you know then they well they, you start the Mountain West schedule, but then the next week they play you know against uh, UTSA, which is a, another kind of upstart team that is just kind of beat Illinois. Leading themselves. Yeah, they just beat Illinois. That's another exactly. Yeah, that, that's another just, just, two touchdown underdog team. So yeah, um, do, you, do I mean I look at I mean I look at the schedule immediately, Tommy, and I gotta say the only game that they even have a chance to win is probably the Hawaii game, right? The game that's that's two days before my birthday, by the way. 11, uh, back in it's in the middle of November, basically. And you've got Hawaii coming here to UNLV, but we all understand that whole dynamic, right, of Vegas being the fifth island, essentially. And it's, you know, it's it's going to be a fervent Hawaii back your, backing crowd that's going to be here for that game it has potential tommy i'm not going to lie to you it has potential to be an embarrassing for unlv because there, because there may be more people at allegiant stadium that are backing the rainbow warriors than they're backing the rebels in that matchup coming up in mid-november so but that to me i got to be honest that's the one game that they could possibly win that i look at there on their schedule they're not going to win at air force they're not going to beat san diego state they're not going to beat uh, they're certainly not going to beat Nevada, right? After Nevada just came off a win against Cat against another Pac-12 team, and uh, you know, I and I, and they're not going to win at New Mexico either. So, uh, I mean, San Jose State, come on now, come on now, you know, San Jose State, really? They're they're not winning that game. Utah State's not. They're not beating Utah State either. So, uh, you know, but but I I know. Look, I'm saying this, and it, it sounds like doom and gloom and everything. It is. But but, but you know, Tommy. It, 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 there always seems every year, right, when they have some performance that's, you know, that's just unheard of, right? They go to – what happened when they had Tony Sanchez, right? They had that unbelievable game where they went down to San Diego against San Diego State, right? And they so, – so I guess outside of something like that, some something completely out of the ordinary, wacky, crazy, you know – call it whatever you want something happening where i mean i i just maybe something like that happens where they where they get a win like that but 
But it also could go the other way, Tommy. It could also go, it, it could be a situation where it could be two seasons into Marcus Arroyo's tenure and he might not have a win. That, I mean, obviously that's the worst case scenario. And, you know, and I got to be honest, maybe people are indifferent to it. Maybe people, you, you brought it up in the last segment. You talked about the, the apathy that exists with, within this, you know, with this program in this town at this time because we have so much other positive stuff going on sports-wise, right? You've got, obviously, the Vegas Golden Knights. You've got an NFL team here now. Look at the Raiders. I get it. But it's an NFL team still, so people are fired up. Uh, obviously, the Las Vegas Aces on a smaller scale. You know, the Aces are a team that could vie for a WNBA championship. There's a lot of positivity across the board here in this town regarding sports. But with UNLV football, it's it's not necessarily that's not necessarily the case, and uh, it could play out with with how things end up shaking out for the UNLV football program this season. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, you're you're grasping at straws and saying, uh, you know, hey, maybe they have that one yeah. crazy performance. Maybe they do, and maybe they get that two wins and make me look foolish, right? Those two wins, Hawaii and somebody else. Are they really else. making you look foolish, Tommy? That, Are they really making you look foolish? Right. Maybe two it, wins. <laughs> that, that's my thing. Shut me up with two wins. I mean, is that really what <laughs> we're where we're going with this? I mean, and that's that, just that, sad, man. I mean, I mean, let's be straight. Let's let's be honest about it, right, Tommy? It is a team that has – look, you're a college football fan. I'm a college football fan. My team's Michigan State. Obviously, everybody knows that. All the, all the you know, Heat Wave Sports family out there and listeners, they all know that. Tommy, they all know that you're a college football fan too. You know, and, and, they, and, and look, I, I, I can't even fathom being a, you know, being a fan of a team that has a one-and-a-half win total and me just being okay with that and me just being kind of like laissez-faire about it. You know, I just, I just, that to me, it's just, it just blows my mind to even think that that's something that's a possibility or can be even thought about. If Michigan State, Tommy, was, was a, it had a win total of one and a half, heads would be rolling all over East Lansing. I mean, it would be, it would just be preposterous. It'd be, you know, it'd be unbelievable. It'd be craziest. It'd be, it'd be insane. You know, I mean, it just would not be a thing. And, and for some reason, it just... It, it happens to be a flat-out reality here in this great city of Las Vegas and this program at UNLV. It, and you mentioned the facilities. The, where you know, look, I love prop plays. I gotta call. Uh, <laughs> I gotta call my, my buddy Dave Sharapin and ask him where's the prop play. I want the prop play of how many wins will the Raiders and UNLV have combined? Uh, what are you setting the over under at? Eight, nine. Yeah, well, since I have them, since I have the Raiders, no, I have it I, right now. I'm thinking it's probably eight. It probably is eight. It probably is eight because I have the Raiders at seven, and I think UNLV will win one. So, so I think it's at eight. I think it is at eight. So, yeah, you said, you and, said I mean, at nine. I'm taking the under all day. There, and there's some sort of element to, and look, not not to get off track or what, not off topic, but there's some sort of element with the viewpoint regarding the Raiders too. To be quite honest with you, I think the Raiders people are kind of blowing them up because it is Vegas, you know, we're here and people are excited about the NFL season and everything. And, and obviously we have Raider fans here, right? So Raider fans look at it differently than someone like myself or you who doesn't have a dog in the fight regarding Las Vegas, as far as the Raiders are concerned. But you know, this, this whole, I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, kind of wackiness to be quite honest with you that they're even talking about, Oh yeah, the Raiders could make the playoffs. You know, I mean, I, I just, look, I'm not, 
I'm not trying to take a, a giant you-know-what on the team. I'm just saying that, you know, I think that, you know, not every, all things considered, I think that that could be even be a stretch. I think it's very fair to say from an NFL perspective, they are clearly the third best and probably the last, uh, the, the, the worst team in that division. They're not Kansas no City. Question about they're it, not, no question They're not the Chargers. And it's basically between them and Denver, which, I, you know, to me, I'm leading Denver, but I get it. Okay, you want to lead the Raiders? That's fine. We're talking about a beautiful facility in Las Vegas. You know, the stadium can only hold it up for so long. Eventually, you're going to have to put somebody that wins some kind of games in there. And the question is, how long will, you know, the Las Vegas fan just accept the just constant losing that is coming from their football teams? And we're talking about the Raiders and UNLV. UNLV, you, you said it. Look, I don't care how much you might like a coach. You start your UNLV career at, you know, like 0-16 or 0-14, 15. Yeah, you go two years without winning a game, or even if you win one game in two years, you, you did something wrong. He's got to go out there and win a few games this year. My question to you guys out there, and this is a flat-out question to anybody that is UNLV fan, pessimist, optimist, whatever, what's the number? What's the number that makes you say, I'm okay with this season. I'm okay with the growth. Because to me, one win doesn't do it. Two wins doesn't do it. Three wins probably doesn't do it. You're asking for something that's just not going to happen, and that's four or five wins. All of a sudden, Arroyo's got to start going, is my job in jeopardy? And let me add on to that too, Tommy, because I think it's already bad enough what happened last year, okay, that they went 0-6. You can't. And, and what is the excuse or the phrasing that people have used? Well, it was a it was a COVID nineteen season, so we can't really count it. You know, he had to, the things the things he had to deal with, and you know, it was just it just and and from a recruiting standpoint, and from a you know from a from a team standpoint, it was they were up against it. They had you know they're up there they they had their backs against the wall. Let me tell you something, right, Tommy? And let me shoot all that down. Everybody had to deal with COVID last year, okay? It wasn't just UNLV that had to deal with it. So I, I can't stand hearing that excuse that people use. They don't just use it for college football. They use it for other sports as well, too. They'll use it for, you know, the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL. And it's like, let me, let me tell you something, okay? It, it, it's not something you can't use it as a detriment to your program or your team if everybody had to go through it, right? And everybody had to deal with it, and everybody had the circumstances that they faced. You can't use that as a crutch and say, oh, that, that's why. So to me, Coach, you know, uh, Marcus Arroyo already is up against it, in my mind, as a coach, when you start, when you go 0 6. You got to find a win, okay? You got to find a way to be 1 5. You got, I, I mean, there's no excuses, okay? Maybe that's me being just harsh. Maybe that's me just being unreasonable. I guess so, okay? Peg me that. You can, you can tag me that. You can label me that, okay? Maybe I'm just being, you know, a hard ass. But the bottom line is that. So, they, so you, me hearing what you just said is hilarious because you're saying that, oh, yeah, you can start your tenure going 0 and, and, and 16 or 0 and 17 or whatever it is is going to be after, at the end of the season if they don't win a game, right? To me, that would just be – you know, absolutely, you know, insane 
and you absolutely would have to look to go, at going in another direction. Obviously, I don't. I mean, I don't know if the powers that be at UNLV would have the stones to do that, and because it's just basically because it's you know two it's two seasons in, and it's college football and it's UNLV and it, they're at they're at the place that they're at right now, from a program standpoint, and there's not really you know a whole lot of things I don't think that are going to change, you know as far as as far as the culture here, in the next in the next season. But that being said, and uh, you know, not to get on kind of a diatribe here, but I just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of blown away that uh, that this is the kind of mindset that we're looking at with UNLV football, Tommy. It's the same thing with the basketball program. So get those pipes warmed up for that when that comes out. Yeah, exactly. You know, once again, I'll predict that the team won't do so well. Once again, we'll get people tell me I don't know what we're talking about, and then once again, my prediction will come true, and I'll say. Guys, I swear, I, I want them to do well because it's better for us. It's better for sports talk. Um, Chris, one last college football uh, thought. Next week, the big game, there's one huge game, and it's Oregon-Ohio State. And, look, it's at the horseshoe, right? Oregon didn't look very good. 14-point spread, Ohio State. Ohio State is starting a lot of new guys, and they're starting a quarterback that didn't throw a, a pass before this year. It's the first time since, uh, like, 1968 or something like that 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 happened. This is a spot where I think the Pac-12 has to win this game if they want anything to do with the college football playoff. The Big 12 and the Pac-12 are almost from the outside looking in, right? They know they don't have any room for error. To me, this is a must-win spot for Oregon. I just think it's going to be too much. I think Ohio State wins and wins pretty comfortably. Gonna be a lot of fun, right, Tommy, to check out this tilt because you're gonna see Stroud out there. Look, he had a big game last week, throws for four touchdowns, almost 300 yards. And that Buckeyes, I mean, look, you're looking at, you're talking about a receiving core. And I talked to a, a local uh, handicapper who, who does great, by the way, when it comes to college football, in Scott Spritzer, and he he mentioned it on the air a couple times this week. You're talking about the best wide receiving uh, room in college football with the Buckeyes. So. Uh, you know, Alave's, you know, had a huge game last weekend, you know, over 100 yards, a couple of touchdowns. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what this Buckeyes offense does against the it, it, me. To me, the key to the game is going to be what the Ducks defense can do handling this Ohio State offense. And an offense, by the way, that put up 35 points, offense and defense, by the way, because they had defense scores too, but 35 points in the second half against Minnesota this week. So the Ducks are going to have to find a way to slow them down or else it could be a long day for Oregon and their faithful to Tommy. All right, guys, welcome back. Key Wave Sports, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com and Chris Wynn sitting in here. A little bit of technical difficulties. We are back. I told you we were going to switch it over. We want to talk about the Thursday night football game. Before we do, guys, make sure you guys go check out TomBartonSports.com. I will have all of my NFL futures plays listed for the morning, if you jump on board, you're going to get every NFL futures play, all 30 days of plays. So you're going to get four weeks in the NFL, four weeks of college football, all of my futures plays, everything for less than $100 at TomBartonSports.com. Also, we just did an NFL preview show this morning for Sports Garden Network, hashtag SGN. You guys want to go check that out next week? We're going to have Keyshawn Johnson on the show. So that's going to be a, a pretty fun show getting ready for week one of the NFL season. I do want to thank everybody who is part of Sports Card Network at hashtag SGN. 
we are breaking records as far as ratings goes and what we're doing there. Basically, uh, we got our, our latest numbers in and we got about a half a million people listening every single week. So I want to say thank you to everybody out there. Hashtag SGN. All right, let's get into the NFL game here on Thursday, Chris. I was getting ready to talk about this game, to be pumped up for it. I think from a fantasy perspective, it's got a million guys, two teams with absolute stars, Brady, Prescott, Zeke. You got all the receivers from Godwin to Gronk to Evans, right? Uh, You have on the other side, Cooper and C.D. Lamb, even Michael Gallup. It is an offensive explosion type of game. And then all of a sudden you get a little bit of news that the Dallas Cowboys lost a pretty important piece of this game. Offensive lineman's gone down. Now, when you are a, a sports betting, uh, you know, mindset and you're, you're somebody like that, you know the public will not adjust. The line won't move. Nothing will happen when an offensive lineman goes down. But you go talk to anybody, anybody that knows the sports, uh, the landscape and the game itself, and you tell them that potentially the best guard in football, Zach Martin, is going to be out of this game, they're going to tell you it's going to absolutely hurt the Dallas Cowboys and hurt what they want to try to do. To me, I look at it like this, Chris. I think with Zach Martin going down, they're going to be less inclined to run it up the middle, run between the tackles. This becomes more of a Dak game than I even anticipated it being, which I thought it was going to be very much a Dak game anyway which to me means more airtime, more throwing, higher scoring. I'm looking at this game. I think we're going to have a really fun atmosphere, a really fun shootout. I know that Tampa Bay's defense is good, and they can be very explosive. But the one thing you can do is you can beat them deep. If you could get a little time, you can beat them deep. I'm not sure that Dak Prescott's going to get time, but I think he's going to go to the air early and often here. Yeah, you look at this, look, it's it's another beginning to an NFL season, right? So the hype about the Dallas Cowboys and, and Jerry World and everything, Dallas Cowboy this, Dallas Cowboy that, we get it, all right? But the loss of Martin's a huge blow, Tommy, right? Because we're talking about an offense that didn't take a full snap together at all in the preseason. And, you know, whether you value preseason or you don't value preseason, that is going to have an impact on your cohesiveness, and your execution, in my opinion, when it comes to an NFL offense, if you guys haven't played together at all and haven't seen any live action at all, okay? And so the Cowboys obviously held out Dak Prescott because of the shoulder strain, and he's going up against, you mentioned it, a Buccaneers run defense that's that was the best in the NFL last a year ago, okay? And we we understand, and a lot of us, you know, NFL you know, analysts, talking heads, and even experts talk about the the Cowboys. Yes, obviously Dak Prescott and his health and his ability to go out there and perform is big time. But it's also kind of a year where we need to see Ezekiel Elliott get better, right? We need to see Ezekiel Elliott kind of be that guy that we expected him to be coming into the NFL. And you expected the run game to be effective and kind of, you know, interject and and complement what they're going to be able to do through the air with the weapons that they have, you know, whether it's Cooper, obviously, whether it's, uh, you know, CeeDee Lamb and these other guys, these these receivers that, uh, you know, you're, we're expecting to see a prolific offense from the Cowboys. So that combined with the fact that you're facing a Buccaneers defense, I think is going to be an intriguing to say the least 
kind of matchup in this game coming up on Thursday. And I got I, I, I don't really feel bad for him, but I got I kind of sympathize with Mike McCarthy saying that you know he's frustrated, obviously because of uh, you know the COVID nineteen protocols and what's going on. You know, regarding you know a guy who's a fully vaccinated player that can return and play in five days, if they as long as they don't have symptoms and all this kind of stuff. But you, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that they are without a key cog on that offensive line, and we're going to see how that all impacts this Cowboys Buccaneers game on Thursday night. I'll tell you, listen, you know, I have personal experience here with uh, you know the COVID frustration with, with vaccinated people. I can tell you a little personal story just to, to show how unbelievably frustrating it can be. Um, so my wife is vaccinated. My, my mother, my nieces, everybody that lives near me are all vaccinated. I, I'm not because for I have antibodies. You know, I've already had it. Um, my kids aren't because they're kids. So we are all actually right now dealing with COVID, the four of us in the house. We were on vacation with the four people that, <laughs> that were vaccinated, including my wife was vaccinated. And the vaccinated people in our group gave it to me and my kids who are unvaccinated and now they have it some of them and some of them don't it, it's there's no rhyme or reason behind this so where mike mccarthy gets frustrated because i saw people kind of ripping him apart well you know you can't get frustrated it's covid you gotta have to learn to live with it a hundred percent you know none of us are sitting here you know and, and crying and complaining in my house about getting it. it it is what it is you know this is my second time having it it stinks it's it but it's frustrating knowing that vaccinated people are, are giving it to to everybody what, what it seems and it's frustrating because you're trying to prevent certain things that you just can't anymore losing zach martin is a massive blow in order my, my my take on this game was in order for the dallas cowboys to win everything had to click right i mean is that a fair assessment chris everything had to go right for dallas to, to win this game they are not beating Brady in Tampa opening night against this defense. It's just not happening unless every single thing goes exactly to plan. And before you even step on the field, that is an impossibility because things are already not going to plan. The line opened up at seven and a half. It dropped down to six and a half. I don't know who was betting Cowboys, but we know Cow- Cowboys are a public, uh, publicly bet team. Now it's back up to seven. Chris, I think that this number should be up to about seven and a half or eight by the time kickoff comes. And I'm in a position where, you know, I'm not going to take the game. So I'm not kind of talking around it. I don't like the sides to this game. I don't love it, but it's Tampa Bay or nothing for me. I don't know how you can go near Dallas having offensive line issues, having Dak Prescott being injured issues and potentially having all the defensive problems that they had. I don't think you can take Dallas in this game. Maybe you don't take anything, which is my position, where I'm not taking anything. But I don't think you could take Dallas in this game, Chris. I got to say, I'm perplexed to hear the fact that uh, this, this possibly line could have moved anywhere in the direction of the Dallas Cowboys, given what's taking place here. And look, Ezekiel Elliott said it, right, Tommy? Ezekiel Elliott said, Zach is our best player on our offense. I mean, you're talking about the running back saying that about a lineman. Okay, and you look at that starting offensive line, whether it's Smith, whether it's Williams, whether it's, you know, by by days, whether it's Collins, they played just three series together in four preseason games. So that, you know, that not exactly is a recipe for me having, you know, a positive viewpoint of looking at this Cowboy team going into the season opener. Right. Especially against 
a team the likes of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have had no such issues or have not had dealt with adversity here in the preseason or in this offseason. You got a Cowboys team that has not had nine players on the COVID-19 list so far, right, Tommy? So, which is more than they had all of last season. So it's there. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the theme is question marks. All right, when you think about this Dallas Cowboys team going into this matchup, and so I don't anticipate that it's going to be a very positive start to the season for the Dallas Cowboys and their faithful fans. Now, you know I, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe the people maybe the people that are moving this line towards Dallas are, are know something that you and I don't know. But uh, I just don't see it, my friend. I don't see it. I think they just like points on the first night. You know, I mean, that's honestly what yeah. it is. But Chris, what what do you think about the McCarthy stuff? And this is, was getting into where I, I, you know, shared my personal information is because, you know, we all we're all frustrated, you know, and, and it's a frustration situation. But you're not going to do any good by venting your frustration. To me, I know that. Dallas, from a sports betting perspective, I know Dallas has to have everything working for them. Everything has to go right to beat Tampa. And I know now this is a, a monkey wrench thrown into it. But do you want your head coach saying that? Do you want your head coach showing the frustration? Or do you want your head coach to give the head coach speak of, well, next man up. Don't worry. We're prepared for this. You know, this is what's going to happen. You know, I mean, you know, it's annoying. But look, it doesn't matter. I have full confidence in his backup. I want that from my coach. I want that. I want Belichick to sit up there. Bill Belichick, you lost your uh, best player. Uh, what do you think? Eh, no big deal to me. Uh, let's go out there and win, right? Like, I want that. I don't think it sends a good message for him to express how frustrated he is, even if he is. Not days before the game. Not when we all understand, it, you know, you're up against it. You are a touchdown-plus underdog. You're going on the road. You're facing the greatest player in the history of the sport. Like, we know that you're frustrated. Why express it, though? I can see where you're coming from, Tommy, and I understand your sentiment regarding that. But the fact of the matter is, is that these coaches are their own personalities. They are who they are. They are wired the way that they are wired, right? There's some coaches that are like Belichick, you know, that are roll with the punches, next man up. We don't care if you're an all-pro player. We can, you know, it's all about the system. And then there's other coaches out there that wear their heart on their sleeve, you know, and they go out there and they every single little thing becomes an issue, right? Or every single little thing is something that should be talked that needs to be talked about, or they feel they need to weigh in on, or you know, they need to talk about the media to, or they need to express their opinion or feelings regarding said situation and then approach it that way. There's coaches like that, right? I mean, there's coaches that are, you know, emotional guys, and then there are, you know, coaches out there that are methodical, right, and that are, uh, like I pointed out, roll with the punches. We'll just see. We'll take every game how it comes, and, and we'll, we'll approach it that way. So, I mean, I look, I, I mean, I personally am a player's coach type of guy, like a, a guy who's who is, in, you know, more facilitated and more focused on the players and and – and dealing with them that way as opposed to somebody that is just, you know, who, who, who couldn't care less about the players and just all is all about, you know, just expectations, what they feel they need, and be damned what the players are feeling or be damned what the players think. I mean, there's, there are coaches that have been but, – but there's been coaches that have been successful both ways or many ways, you know. So uh, that's kind of where I'm on that. I don't, I don't really know. you know, And, and Mike McCarthy is – 
you know, he, he's no, he's not a Bill Belichick. You know, he's not he's not someone who's going to be thought of on that level. But he is in that you know hyperbaric craziness that is Dallas in that at you know in that situation down there with the Cowboys where it's it's been since you know 1995 where they've had a team that's been a Super Bowl worthy, and so and they just continue every year to be a team that that everybody wants to talk about can win a Super Bowl. You know, or everybody wants to talk about can be a playoff relevant team, and that make no mistake, 2021 is no different in that aspect. Did you watch Hard Knocks this year? You know what? I haven't watched any of it this year, which is you know, kind of surprising because I was—I I, mean—because I was always Tommy. I don't know about you, but when it come, came to that show, I'd always dip in and out. You know, if I if I'd hear something during the week that was interesting or intriguing, I would be like, oh, okay, I want to check it out and see. But I was never, like, a hardcore fan. This this season was, was one of the worst for whatever reason. I, I don't know. I, I like it, but I will yep. tell you. I used to say Mike McCarthy's a fine coach. You know, um, I don't think he's good. I don't think he's bad. I think he's perfectly fine. You put a team around him, he's a guy that can win. That was always my assessment. This was a bad look for Mike McCarthy. He's uh, pulling out – you know, inspirational things from like Austin Powers to 22 year old, 23 year old kids don't make any sense. Um, his just demeanor, the way that he would approached it. I, I walked away from hard knocks with a completely different feeling about Mike McCarthy than I ever had. And it's not a positive one. It was a, a strictly negative feeling of, Oh man, Mike McCarthy's in over his head. And you start to think about the Dallas Cowboys and what do they need? You know, there's a lot, of question marks, like you said, for them to get back to the playoffs, to, to win playoff games, to actually get back to the Super Bowl. First of all, they need a defense. I mean, I, I think that's clear cut. But they need leadership, and they don't have it. As much as everyone wants to call Jerry Jones' team, he's not that involved right on the field anymore. So even if it was his team, it's not his team, and it's not Mike McCarthy's team. And right now, there's questions if it's even Dak's team or if it's Zeke's team. I mean, there's no leadership that stands out. I think Zach is a leader. I think he wants to be a leader. But with his injuries, he's forced to sit on the sidelines. He's forced to take that backseat. Zeke isn't exactly the rah-rah leader type of guy. This is a team to me that is desperate, desperate for somebody to step up and say, okay, this is my team. We're taking it in this direction. We're going down this path. And they just don't have it. I continuously look at the Dallas Cowboys roster and I say, man, Dallas should win this division. Dallas should push for the, the Super Bowl. And we might be looking at an NFC championship game where Tom Brady is against Dak Prescott. We might be getting it in advance of that. The more I look at the roster, the more I think that's possible. The more I look at the composite and the makeup of the Dallas Cowboys, the more I go, forget about Super Bowl. I don't think this team wins the division. And it's such a weird divide to see that the personalities are actually hurting the team as opposed to helping the team. And despite our skepticism, right, Tommy, you think about the Cowboys and you think about what that division was a year ago, right, where it was almost like everybody was just trying to avoid winning the division, right? It's like nobody wanted to step up and take the reins of winning the NFC East, and it was just, it was just a debacle as far as the division, you know, in the, in the whole scope of the NFL, right? But they still, you still believe. I mean, I look. I'm not. I'm not somebody that backs the Cowboys. Obviously, I'm not some, someone that's looking from the outside, looking in. I would still think that you you have to believe that the Cowboys, from a talent standpoint, right, are probably the best team in that division. 
right? And they probably should win that division if everybody's healthy, right? And everybody's back, and you know, you're, and and they get things they get things squared away as far as COVID, and they're you know, you get you get everybody back on the football field for the Cowboys. It, it's my opinion they're probably the best team in that division. They should win that division, but you've got a landscape in the NFC now where you've got obviously the Buccaneers are the defending. Super Bowl champions, and you've got, you they're viable. I, the Green Bay Packers situation is intriguing, to say the least, with Eric Rodgers back in the fold there. And, of course, now out west, you've got a division that is going to be ultra-competitive where you've got the Seahawks and you've got, obviously, the L.A. Rams are a team that is also being talked about a lot now with Matthew Stafford being back there, despite the fact they have injuries at the running back position there. The Rams, obviously, with that defense, are going to be there, right, when it comes to the NFC playoff picture. And you got these other intriguing teams, obviously, in the Niners and the and the and the Cardinals out west. But with the with the way the NFC sits right now, Tommy, you know, it's not a situation where the where we just think the Buccaneers, you know, are, are just anointed the team there, right, Tommy? I mean, it's it's there are other teams that can throw themselves in the mix, and even for a, a lot of you Cowboy haters out there, the Cowboys, I gotta believe, right? They're gonna be. As long as they can stay healthy, right, and as long as Dak comes back and, and comes back and performs like we expect Dak to be able to do, they're going to be one of those teams, right, Tommy, that's going to be in that NFC picture. Chris, I'm anointing them. I'm looking at the Bucks' schedule, man, and I'm going, yeah, I'm not going to take the prop bet that they go undefeated, but they'll be favored in every single game with maybe the lone exception being week three against Los Angeles. That's it. Right. I mean, you you look at this team, just the makeup, just the design, just the talent. Then you go back and you tell me that Tom Brady said he was playing injured last year. They also had uh, improvements on the offensive line. And then you tell me that they are the third easiest schedule in the NFL. I mean, look, Dallas, Atlanta, Miami, Chicago, the Giants, Buffalo, New Orleans, and Carolina at home. They are favored in every one of those games, and with the exception of Buffalo, they should win every one of those games. On the road, all right, a little bit tougher. The Rams, New England, Philly's a joke. New Orleans should be easier this year. Washington might be tough. Indy could be interesting. Atlanta, Carolina, Jets. I think if everything goes massively wrong for Tampa, everything goes massively wrong, they lose five games. And and when you start to go, everything goes massively wrong. I mean, that's losing to Belichick. That's losing, you know, at home to Buffalo. If things go massively wrong, I have them losing five games. To me, this is a two-loss team at best. And we might be talking about Tampa Bay being historic. We keep asking, you know, why does Brady keep continuing to come back? Why is Brady continuing to keep playing? Well, and the short answer is because he can. But what else does he have to prove, right? You don't think he wants that undefeated season that he wasn't able to get. I don't think he gets it this year, but that's got to be one of those driving forces for Tom Brady. It's got to be one of those driving forces to be out of a relationship. And I call it a relationship, right? Imagine you're with a girl, Chris, and, and, you know, you're with her for 10 years. And for 10 years, she's just one of those kind of controlling girls. Okay, you can't go out on Friday night. No, you're not going out. You're not going to do that. No, no, you're not going to do that. No. All right, it works. You love her. It's cool. Then all of a sudden you break up with her and you're with the girl that's like, hey, it's Friday night. Let's go out, man. Let's go get drunk. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Party. Let's go do this. Oh, oh. You're, you're going to get rejuvenated. You're going to go. Oh, I love this. I'm going to go do this. I think that's what Brady is right now. Oh, cool. We could do it. We can do it and have fun. I can win and have fun. It's something I never did. 
But I also think that he's got that driving force of that undefeated season was within my grasp. That undefeated season was right there. And if he could get by week four, because week three and four is back-to-back at Los Angeles, at New England. If he could get by week four, I think he sees a clean slate in front of him. And that clean slate, we very well could be talking about 17-0. and You said don't anoint them. Chris, I'm anointing them. I think they are not only are they that good, I think that it is a weak, weak NFC. I don't believe in Dallas. I kind of like Washington, but don't believe in them that much. Green Bay's a soap opera I won't go near. I think his own division is a mess. I'm not buying it to Jameis Winston with no receivers. Carolina's up and coming, but they're not quite there. So you have the West, where San Francisco has quarterback questions. All of a sudden, Cam Akers isn't in Los Angeles. You look at, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, I, I don't know. He hasn't shown that he could win at any level. And Seattle is always the same. Seattle will be dangerous for eight, nine, ten weeks, and then they'll drop off. To me, the NFC is all Tampa Bay. And I also want to get your take, though, too, because we were just talking about Mike McCarthy, right? We were talking about coaches and coaches' personalities, talking about Belichick and talking about Pete Carroll and talking about, you know, Sean Payton and all these guys. Your thoughts, Bruce Arians is just that guy, right? He is that He's that swashbuckling Oh, shucks, you know, he's got a cocktail in one hand and, you know, he's got his he's got his, you know, radio transmitter in the other. Listen to his Jimmy Buffett. Like, I, it's just it is fascinating to me, Tommy, that whole Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneer dynamic where, you know, he is a guy that uh, is just he, he, he fascinates me. That guy is just it, it, it's it's kind of, you know fascinating to kind of watch that whole situation how it's all transpired down there with tampa bay tommy it really is that's a great point i think bruce arians is the perfect coach for tom brady right now (laughs) right which is which is again let's go back to the the relationship you know conversation the next girl after the girl that you dated but maybe she's not going to be the one but she's the one right now she's exactly what you need you know we all have friends like that that get right. out of a relationship and you're like, oh, guys, what do you think of my new girl? And you're like, dude, it's exactly what you need right now, <laughs> right? And that's what Bruce Arians is right now for Tom Brady. Tom Brady would have never been able to handle Arians five, six, seven years ago. No chance because he was too rigid. Now it's basically retired Tom Brady, right? Oh, cool. Oh, we're listening to Buffett. All right, no problem. Uh, but you do start to see some things kind of bubbling to the surface. There's been reports this training camp that Tom Brady has thrown his helmet, screamed at players, and flipped out because they are taking it too easy because they've already won. So in order for Brady to stop that hangover effect, he's kind of on his own because, like you said, you know, listening, wasting away in Margaritaville is, is, is Arians on the sidelines. <laughs> so I think he's a perfect coach for Tom Brady right now. But that perfectness can go away once they start winning. And once they stop winning at the rate that Brady wants them to win, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they have a two-game, very tough stretch going, you know, especially with all the emotions, going to L.A. and then to New England right after that. That's a tough stretch. If they get out of that 2-0, it's clear sailing. If they happen to go 0-2 there, we might see some cracks in the armor there where Brady and Arians might butt heads a little bit. But... It is interesting that we're talking about greatest coaches. On my list of greatest coaches, you'll never hear Bruce Arians leave my lips. No way. No chance. 
perfect for what Brady needs right now. Let me push back a little bit, though, as far as the NFC picture, right? Because you said you want to anoint Tampa Bay there. I got to tell you, Tommy, I like this L.A. Rams team. Obviously, people will think, well, Chris, you're a little bit biased because you have some dog in the fight because your quarterback is now the quarterback there, and so you just want to see Stafford win a, win a Super Bowl. Yeah, there's a little bit of that to it. But what about this Rams team, Tommy? I mean, you're talking about a team, you know, Sean McVay, he was, you know, one of those young guru type, you know, he, you want to talk about anointed. I mean, he was, they talked about Sean McVay like he was the second coming, you know, a couple years ago when he, when, he, when he started, when he emerged on the NFL scene as far as a head coach. This is a Rams team. Look, they, we understand they have the injury situation. They signed Sony Michelle from the Patriots. Or, or they actually, I think they traded for him, actually. So Sony Michelle now is in the mix there at the running back position. But you like the wide receivers. You like Cooper Cup. You like Robert Woods. You like, you know, what they can do at the tight end position. You like what they're going to be able to do from that standpoint. And defensively, make no mistake about it, obviously Aaron Donald you know, anchors that defensive line. And, and, of course, you know, a secondary highlighted by one of the best players in the NFL, in the secondary as well, too, in a linebacking core. I think that is a little bit underappreciated. They have a solid defense. I mean, do you, I mean, the Rams, are we talking about a team, a Rams team that can win a Super Bowl, Tommy? I don't think so. I, and I don't think so because while I am a Stafford guy, you know that I've always been, clearly not as much as you are, but I've right. always appreciated what Stafford does. When you look at the team as a whole, and you, you, know, you clearly say, look, massive improvement at quarterback. Yes, yes, they did. Absolutely. Um, but I would never have pointed to that as the problem. But I will say this, look, massive improvement at quarterback, uh, check mark, big time check mark for the Rams. Are they worse on the ground running the ball than they were last year? I think you have to say 100%. They are absolutely worse. And if you remember what Cam Akers did at the end of the year to really propel them into the playoffs, it, it's even more livid. Then you go, how about offensive line? Oh, it's worse. They're older, right? Guys on that team are getting very old on that line, which means it could end quickly for them. So the offensive line is worse, and the running game is worse. All right, maybe Stafford's good enough to get past that. How about defensively? Well, they lost Johnson, who's a key defensive player, and I think that defensive backfield now is vulnerable. Their middle linebackers weren't very good last year anyway. So I think if you really look at this team and you go, yeah, they got better at quarterback, but they got worse on offensive line, they got worse at running back, and they got worse on defense, that's not good. Plus, I think the rest of the division came back up. Now, I, you know, spoiler alert for next weekend, I still have them winning this division, okay? I still think they are the best team in the division, but I'm not 100% sold on it. I think it's close. I think San Francisco can steal this division. I think Seattle could steal this division. And I think Arizona has the talent to steal this division. So while I, I see what you're saying with the Rams, I think everyone is just asphyxiated on, here we go, Matthew Stafford, because we all want Matthew Stafford to have success. We know how long he had to deal with in Detroit. And I like him. But the other aspects of this team all went down. Offensive line is a big loss. They, they, are, they are hurting, and, man, they could be hurting badly there. You turn around, you look at the running game. I think that's a big problem. And I don't think people are making out to, to realize that Cleveland stole one of the best defensive backs in football in Johnson, who's now playing in Cleveland. It is kind of hilarious, though, because the whole narrative when the trade went down, right, over the summer was like, oh, here we go, Matthew Stafford. He has no more excuses anymore. He's been in Detroit. By the way, he, I mean, he, 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 
he didn't have really any excuses in Detroit either. During, I mean, come on. I mean, you talk about guys like a Hall of Famer and Calvin Johnson and some of the offensive pieces that they've had. Yes, I mean, their offensive line was not good really at all throughout most of his tenure there in Detroit. But it's not like they didn't have skill players in Detroit, right? Guys that he could throw to, running backs out of the backfield that were, you know, that were solid before they got hurt. I mean, there were there was there was pieces in Detroit. So I kind of have a problem with the whole, you know, uh, well Stafford had excuses when he was in Detroit. Now it all switched, right? When he got traded to the Rams, it was all like, oh yeah, well look at the Rams' offense. I mean, there's no way now Stafford has. There's no other. He can't have any other complaints. He has to. He has to step up this year. And then what happened, right, Tommy? What happened? Cam Akers got hurt. Once Cam Akers got hurt, now all of a sudden there was this opening. There was this window where people could say, well, maybe, maybe you know, if Stafford doesn't win a Super Bowl this year or in the next couple of years in his short window in L.A., you know, now that Akers is hurt, that maybe now that does open the door for some skepticism and for some, some people to say, well, you know, he didn't exactly have a full – uh, a full cupboard, right? Or he didn't have a whole uh, kitchen worth of tools. It's it's going to be it's kind of interesting how this is all shaken out with the expectation level, I guess, is what I'm saying with the Los Angeles Rams. Well, yeah, I mean, outside of McVeigh as a play caller, probably the best play caller he's ever had. Okay, granted, um, you can't sit back and tell me that Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle is any better of a running combination than what he had in Detroit. It's not. He's got the same sort of talent there. And the offensive line, as constructed right now, is about what he had in Detroit. So he's going to get a beat about the same offensive line, about the same kind of running game that he had in Detroit. And don't tell me – and you're right. You know, the people that are so nearsighted to go, oh, he had no weapons to throw to. Listen, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are very good. Are they the best set of receivers he's ever had? I don't know. I don't think that it's that – far-fetched to say no I, I i think we can make an argument that he had better receiving course so yeah the stafford thing is quite interesting so you don't think so you don't think tommy i gotta bounce this off you. so you don't think the packers can make things interesting there you don't think a Jameis winston led saints team with you know look we understand that you know the situation with michael thomas is not good early on in the season he's not going to be really a factor but they're, they have the, the young kid Callaway there, who's somebody I think that is absolutely somebody that, that we're going to have an eye on in the NFL this year. But you don't, so you don't, you don't see the Packers or the Saints, you know, uh, in a situation where they could uh, maybe uh, make a run at these Buccaneers. The Saints, I, I don't know if the Saints finish 500. I got Carolina over them. I think the Saints are in a bad way this year. You can't expect Kamara to, to lift that kind of weight that he had been lifting and. Troy Jones is now the backup, maybe, with Latavius Murray. That's a worry. Uh, I have no confidence in Winston, no confidence in Callaway. Yeah, Callaway could be fine, but he's not Michael Thomas. There's just too many question marks there. And Green Bay, no, I'm going the complete other way with Green Bay. While everyone's looking at this and saying, well, there's a last dance and watch what, you know, Adams and, and Rodgers do. Yeah, listen, that's all fine and good. That's a good way to kind of look at it. I also look at it like this. Aaron Rodgers has proven that he's a selfish guy throughout his entire career. I don't think anybody, including Aaron Rodgers, would even argue that, right? Do you think Aaron Rodgers is diving for that fourth and one? Is he putting his body on the line for an organization that he doesn't like? For a head coach he doesn't get along with? For a general manager he doesn't want to be near? And he knows his life and his entire legacy is sitting in Denver. 
if he wins with Green Bay, Chris, he can't leave, and he won't leave, and he knows that. Maybe he doesn't fight that hard for that fourth and one. Maybe he doesn't, you know, pressure that ball. I could see Aaron Rodgers' numbers this year, like, finishing with, like, three interceptions on the year. Not because he's going to be so pinpoint and precise, but more so, eh, I'm not going to force the ball, and I like my stats where my stats are. And that is what worries me when Aaron Rodgers is the guy sitting back and he's going, my headspace is good, man, and I'm meditating, and, you know, I'm eating, like, soy lattes, and everything's cool. That's not what I want from a warrior quarterback, okay? You know, <laughs> I don't want that That everything is cool and chill and California chill. No, you want Tom Brady that's like, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll step over and, and murder seven people on the way to a championship. I mean, you want that. And Rodgers doesn't have that. I'm not getting down on him for getting his mental health right and all that, but it's the way that you go about it. It's the, those secondary factors. You think that if it's a double-covered Devontae Adams, who is now his best friend or somebody else, maybe he fits it into Devontae, right? Maybe he forces it a little bit into Devontae just to make sure he gets his. I, it's a lot of question marks with Green Bay. And if you're going to take down and, and talk about a Super Bowl, something that Aaron Rodgers never was able to accomplish, never without massive luck on his side. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't go anywhere near Green Bay. I think if anything, once they do start to have a little problems and start to lose, you're going to see screaming on the sidelines. You're going to see problems. You're going to see issues. I think this thing could deteriorate real fast. Look, Tommy, you're not going to find me as a Lions fan start blowing sunshine up the backside of any Green Bay fan or the Green Bay Packers at all. Okay, but that being said, but that being said, I mean, I look at you're, you're talking about, you know, if they start losing this stuff. Look, it's the Packers in the NFC North. I don't see them in a situation where they're going to start losing. You know what I mean? I think I mean, they win the division. Where the Packers are clearly the best team in that division, right? Yeah, and they, say what we want about you and I, we've had our feelings about Aaron Rodgers, and we, you know, we have we have our standpoint when it comes to that guy, right? In that guy in that town, and I get it. But the fact of the matter is this, right? The Packers, and as as much as I hate saying it, they were on the doorstep of a Super Bowl, right? They were in the NFC Championship game. You got an MVP performance out of Aaron Rodgers a year ago at the quarterback position. I love them as far as the running back. I mean, obviously, when you talk about uh, you know a, a guy in the running back there who's who's one of the best in the league. You mentioned Devontae Adams. They have some other pieces there that, from a receiving standpoint that are going to be good. So this is, I mean, it's it's going to be a good, I mean, look, I, it's going to be a good Green Bay team. I don't know if that whole doomsday scenario pans out, Tommy, where they are just atrocious. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, we, we, you know, look, you talked about Tom Brady, right? You talk about him in glowing terms, you know, and as rightfully should. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. But he's one year older. You know, Tom Brady's, what, 44 now? And your, 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 your expectations, you, Tommy, right, are that the Buccaneers are going to be really good this year or are going to be the class of the NSC. And you've been, and you've been talking about, about Tom Brady in glowing terms, and, and it's understandable, right? But I think the same viewpoint should be given regarding Aaron, uh, regarding Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, there's, there's no situation right there in Green Bay that would suggest he's going to have some – huge fall off this year and then he's going to be atrocious right I mean he's going to be uh, still going to be a pretty good quarterback so that's why I think that you know there is some viability regarding this Green Bay Packer team and the whole NFC scenario this year look I got him winning the division I'll, I'm conceding that um, just because it is a weak division 
the question mm-hmm. is, when it comes pressure time, what has Aaron Rodgers done his entire career? And his entire career, he's crumbled under pressure. And that they would have to go into Tampa and win a game against Tom Brady on his home turf. That's just not happening. So that's why I'm down on Green Bay. Chris, it has been a fantastic show, man. Absolutely love flying through two hours with you. Absolutely awesome. Even talking UNLV, even though we went a little negative, guys. We didn't go negative. We're just reporting about the negative. <laughs> uh, guys, make sure that you listen in next week. We're going to do our NFL preview. We're going to pick our MVP. We're going to talk about week one, all of it. Damon, thank you on the other side. Tim Oglesby will be back next week. Chris, I think you're going to be on, but if not, I want to hear your Super Bowl winner, your MVP. Text it to us next week. We'll let you guys know. Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com and go check out Sports Garden Network, hashtag SGN. Absolutely crushing it in syndication. Go check that all out right now. Have a good night, everybody.